Hi, everybody. This is Moshe Fried, and welcome to the very 22nd episode of the Class Stars podcast. Today, I want to talk about a subject that I'm a little bit biased about, and that subject is bias. The big question is, how do teachers like us, who are being pulled in so many directions, with so many demands and so much to do, how do we make sure that we not only get through our lesson as planned, but also make sure that every child is noticed every day, and that each one gets the attention they need to succeed? That is the question, and the Class Stars podcast is here to give you the answer. Here is your host, Moshe Freed. I don't have to tell you, uh, you know, what, what people's reaction is when, when we talk about bias. If you ever speak to somebody about bias, people typically get defensive. You know, the conversation is usually letting people know about their biases. And the truth of the matter is that what prompted me to talk about this today was that I had gotten an email from Ed Surge, which is a great newsletter that I get. It's a lot more than a newsletter now. It started off as a newsletter, but it's an email that I get. They do a lot of research. They do a lot of work on education technology, and they do a lot of really cool stuff. So I certainly would recommend for everybody to check it out. <clears throat> but I got an email this week about the top five articles from the last month, from September. And the number one article from last month was an article titled, Everyone Has Invisible Bias. This lesson shows students how to recognize it. And it basically went on to talk about how it, students are biased and how do, you, how do you teach people not to be biased? How do you help people look at both sides of an issue? And it reminded me of something that I had learned back when I was in graduate school a long time ago. Harvard University had done, in a, it's called Project Implicit. You can check it out at implicit.harvard.edu. And they basically give you a test to measure your bias. They have a bunch of different biases. And it's a very, very interesting test. You know, anybody can do it and go online. You can do it for free. And basically what they, what they have you do is associate different, different things. They have uh, different nationalities. They have on different political issues. They have on religion, gender science, disability, a lot of different a lot of different topics. So what they'll do is they'll give you images and keywords and see how quickly you react to them and basically measure your bias. Now, the problem that I, I had done actually just recently as I was preparing for this conversation, I had done the Asian American bias to, to which they, you know, the way they explain it is this, this, Test requires the ability to recognize white and Asian American faces and images placed that are either American or foreign in origin. So the idea is do we associate, do American people associate Asian Americans as American or as foreign? They do have, you know, Asian Americans do have a distinctive look. And do we identify that distinctive look with something that's foreign. And obviously, if we have that bias, it can play out in a, a number of different ways. But the interesting thing about it was that as I had taken it, as I was taking the test, I realized that they were actually priming me to have a bias against Asian Americans because they were first associating the Asians as foreigns and the Europeans as American. So if you ask me a series of questions that kind of, you know, where you're priming me to associate European Americans, Euro Europeans as Americans and Asians as foreigns, and then you're going to go ahead and flip it around. I've just been primed to associate Asians as foreigns. If they would have done the test the opposite way, where first I'm 
being asked to associate Asians as Americans and Europeans as foreigners, then I may be primed the other way. And that's the interesting thing about bias. And again, going back to the first article, going back to the first article, the article was about students being biased. And what I'm always curious about is my own bias. I'm less concerned. I guess I should be careful how I say that. It's not that I'm less concerned, but if I want to help somebody else not be biased, the way I need to do that, especially as a teacher or as some kind of authoritative figure, is that I've got to get in control of my own biases. So I'm always curious to know how do I identify and manage my own biases and take care of that. That's really what I'm looking at. And what was a real eye-opener, and I had mentioned Daniel Kahneman in a previous podcast episode, but Daniel Kahneman uh, has written a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he won the Nobel Prize in Economics, and he talks about how the brain works. And a lot of what he talks about explains where bias comes from. He says that there are, the way he understands it is that there are two modes of thinking. There's the fast thinking, the split decision thinking, and then there's the slow deliberate thinking. And one illustration of this is that if somebody asks you, what's two plus two? So you don't really need to think about it. If you're doing something else and somebody asks you, what is two plus two? You continue doing what you were doing and you can just answer, it's four, it's very easy. But if somebody would ask you, what's 37 times 15? That's something that you can also figure out, but you've got to stop what you're doing. You've got to focus on it. And that's the slow, deliberate thinking. And what Daniel Kahneman's research has shown him is that the first kind of thinking, the fast thinking, is extremely efficient. We can do things really, really quickly with this kind of thinking. This is the kind of thinking that develops habit. You don't need to think about it. It kind of happens on autopilot. The problem with it is that it's error prone. It's easy to make mistakes. And people make all kinds of mistakes based on this kind of thinking. So we have the second kind of slow, deliberate thinking, which is a lot more accurate, but a lot more cumbersome. And the brain prefers the first type of thinking. The first type of thinking is much easier. So the brain prefers the first type of thinking. It works, it's efficient, and that's why when you get into a flow, when you get into a routine, those things that you do in the routine happen really, really easy. You don't need to think about it. You can actually do other things while you're doing it. The second kind of thinking, the slow thinking, takes a lot of effort. We're typically exhausted after we spend a lot of time in that second kind of thinking. So there's a balance, and this is what he talks about in his book, the balance between the thinking fast and slow, and which is the title of the book. Now, obviously, bias comes from this first kind of thinking. If a person had experienced some, some kind of traumatic event, if they are triggered, it's that initial kind of thinking. And again, remember that the fast thinking is really, really helpful in survival instincts. You know, when we talk about how, uh, you know, in evolution, how people evolved. And if you couldn't react really, really quickly, you were, you were finished, you know, living in dangerous times. So you use the fast thinking. You've got to trust your gut when you're walking through an unsafe neighborhood. But that's bias, right? If you're walking through a neighborhood that you know has a high crime rate, so you don't know that they're going to attack you. But because there's a high crime rate in this neighborhood, you might feel nervous. And that's a bias towards the kind of people that live in that neighborhood. Now, is that appropriate or inappropriate? It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. It obviously is not a reason to be violent against these people or to do anything that's you know, not right to them. But if you want to avoid a place of high crime, nobody should hold that against you. Now, 
again, understanding how this first kind of thinking works, when you're, when you're thinking fast, you're going to be error prone and that's where you come into these bias mistakes. So, so when I think about it as a, as a teacher in a classroom, there is bias that we have towards and against children in the classroom. There are children that we are biased against, children that we are biased towards, right? Very often we'll find ourselves engaging with the same group of children that are highly engaging and other kids get left behind. And we like engaging with certain kids because those kids are going to make us feel like we're doing a good job. They know the answer. They're great. They have great personality. There's something we're attracted to them in, in, for one reason or another. Then there are the troubling students, which I hate to call them the troubling students, but they, but they make our job troublesome. They make it difficult for us. We need to be able to overcome that and see something positive in them so that we can develop a compassion for them and be as enthusiastic to engage them as the ones that make us feel good with little effort. And it's that battle between the fast thinking and the slow thinking that we really need to get a handle on. So when we talk about bias in in the education system, of course, like the article in the EdSurge uh, at edsurge.com, that article needs to be addressed. For sure, we need to teach children not to be biased. We need to teach them how you know, to understand bias and how to confront it and how, and how to do it and how, and how to have an intelligent conversation. Unfortunately, in, in today's political climate, it's so difficult to have a calm, intelligent conversation on, on so many issues. But, but this is something that we really need to talk about because if we're not going to talk about it to these kids, we're not going to be able to rein it in and, and what are things going to look like in 10 years from now? It's frightening to think. So, so let's, of course, of course, try to teach students how to recognize bias, how to confront it, how to deal with it, how to balance it out, creating room for debate, so on and so forth. Let's, let's get that conversation going. But let's also recognize our own bias and our own difficulties and understand that it might not be about a political issue, but it might be about preferring one student over another. Are there particular students in our class that we prefer, that we would rather? Is there a certain student in the class that when they're absent, you're just relieved because you know your day is going to be easier because this child is absent? There's bias there. Let's recognize it. Let's think both fast and slow. Let's make sure that every single kid gets involved. See you next week. I hope you got value from this podcast. And please, before you go, if you can just subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends, that will be really, really amazing. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into the Class Stars podcast. To learn more about our vision for education, subscribe to us, visit our website, take our free training, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media. Join the revolution in education and become a Class Stars today, empowering educators one episode at a time.